If you've sat in a deep space of suffering, you've probably experienced one of the most painful elements of that, when you feel rejected. Whether it's in the form of feeling forgotten or unaccepted or neglected, rejection can take suffering and make it feel even deeper. That sense of rejection is a big part of Danielle's story. From feeling rejected in her home to feeling rejected by the church, she eventually got to a place where she realized that the rejection is what made the suffering so painful, chief of which was believing that God had rejected her. And yet, he hadn't. In fact, he was with her in the moments when she felt most alone. And here's the wildest part. Sometimes our belief that we are rejected can actually cause us to reject God. You're listening to episode 117 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you that you've brought about this opportunity for Daniel and I to talk. And we've actually been meaning to talk for a while, but we really believe that your timing is better than ours. We believe that you know what you are doing. And we believe even now with technological issues that we've already had, with the headache that I've got, that even in distractions and obstacles, you can still work. And so we want to invite you into this time and place. We pray that you would just take our words and thoughts and shape them to what you are inviting us to do. And we pray in all of this that you would be glorified and honored. And we just can't wait to see what you do with what you've given us here. Let's pray in your most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, Daniel, I am excited to talk because like I mentioned in the prayer and like you and I have talked about, we were going to connect before this and we were going to connect on my last season. And We've already kind of gathered that God might be up to something. And so I don't know where this conversation is going to go, but I know it's going where it's supposed to go. And before we jump in, what would you want people to know about who you are before the conversation starts? That love is my core. Hmm. Love is my core. Right before the pandemic started here in America, it came out of my mouth when I was doing one of my lives that I'm that lady on the internet who loves you. And I started leaning into that. It started with says she loves you. And then it was just, I'm that lady on the internet who loves you. I really leaned into that because love is my core. I have my podcast, Victorious Souls, and I have my core values. And my first core value is love and honor centric. Hmm. Knowing that you're loved is the most important thing for a person to know. Hmm. It's a part of my greatest wound in my life. And some people will say, how can you love me? You don't know me. Yeah. How can you say that? And I found a graphic online and I started sharing that. Uh, if people can say they hate you for no reason, I can say I love you for no reason. <laughs> people really like that. But it's true because love is such a deep need. People suffer from the loss of it and they have a hard time internalizing it and grabbing a hold of what it is that they need. So that is a big part of what I do. Love is my core. God is love. Our greatest need is love. We're created in the image of God who is love. So love is my core. That's good. And you've got love behind you in multiple places. <laughs> so it's, it is definitely a core for you. And 
You know, I only know bits and pieces of your story, even in what you and I talked about before we started recording this idea of suffering. You've sat in it in a number of different ways in a number of different seasons of life as recently as last week. And so there's so much, so much that we could talk about. But instead of me prompting a bunch of things, you mentioned earlier that you believe that the Holy Spirit can guide conversation and guide your thoughts. So when you think of right now, the many stories that you could tell, what story do you feel like the Holy Spirit is prompting in your heart? Tell me a story, Danielle. With this being, where did you see God? I think the story I want to share is going to go to the deepest core. Hmm. It is the core trauma in my life. I have multiple childhood traumas, multiple deaths, bullying. I had trauma at home, trauma at school, trauma in the neighborhood, and trauma at church. I loved going to church. It was a denominational, authoritarian, kind of oppressive thing, but still, I loved going to church. From my early age, I had this spiritual draw to God. I loved him. But there were numerous things that got in the way of that. Numerous things, a childhood emotional neglect at home because my parents were emotionally neglected. That's a whole different story I won't go into. Mm -hmm. But I bring that up because people don't want to deal with childhood emotional neglect because they feel like they're throwing their parents under the bus. But they're not, so long as they're not stuck in the blame. It's like a lot of times people are emotionally neglected because their parents were. Mm -hmm. You you can't give what you don't have. (laughs) But we went to church and then suddenly we weren't going to church because something happened at church and I was too young to have a clue what was going on, except for my parents didn't want to go to church anymore. Well, I still want to go to church. I don't know why you don't want to go to church. Mm -hmm. And they had a bus. So the bus would come and pick me up. I'd walk to the corner and get picked up by the bus and go to church. I was the only one in my family that went to church. I had two older brothers. Mm -hmm. I went to vacation Bible school. You know, I did all the things. And, you know, I, I loved it. One Sunday, I answered an altar call, didn't know that was what it was called. I was a kid. I was like 10 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I was in the big people church. And to this day, I don't know why. (laughs) Because I went to Sunday school. I could still sing the Sunday school song right now. It's coming to me. (laughs) What time it started at 930 sharp. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's so funny, the things you remember, you know. (laughs) But I stayed for the big people church. Don't know why. And the pastor gave an altar call of sorts. He put out there, there's something wrong between you and God. That's the way I remember it. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting in the back and I felt like something pulling me to the front. You know, using words I know now, I was being convicted. The Lord wanted me to respond. It was like a giant magnet, you know, kind of thing. And I'm like, no, I'm this little kid. There's all these people, you know, and when you're little, you know, the ceiling is like a million miles up and everything, yeah. you know, and the front of the church is 10 miles down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they're playing just as I am about a million times. Finally, I can't take it anymore. And I get up and I walk down to the front. No one else had responded to the altar call. And I felt like finally I'm doing what I need to do. And I walked to the front. I expected my pastor to give me the answer of what's wrong with me between me and God. Mm-hmm. You know, you think there's something wrong. So I'm coming to you. You're going to tell me the answer. And he said, thank you. What? I was confused. I felt like he thanked me for coming forward because no one else did. And then he sent me off with some lady I didn't know. We went into this room, her and me, and then she asked me what was wrong. I'm like, I don't know. You're supposed to tell me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's all I remember. Then I started going to membership classes and doing whatever they do in membership classes. I was baptized. I made a statement of faith when they baptized me in front of the church. I still remember the gist of what the pastor said over me at baptism. 
And then came the Sunday when I get to be made a member. You know, I went through all these things, went through all the hoops, did all the things they tell me to do. I'm a young girl who's suffering childhood emotional neglect with no clue that that's what's going on. Because what I felt in my heart is my family didn't love me. I didn't belong in my family at home. Mm -hmm. I felt like maybe I was adopted or something, but there's something wrong with me. That's why, you know, they don't love me and don't really want me. So I was really excited about becoming a member because then I was going to belong and be accepted and they were going to love me and I was going to find my place. So the Sunday comes sitting on the bus and you're so excited. You know, you're a little kid. You just are going to come unglued. You're so excited for this thing. Mm -hmm. They get all of us who went through all the class and they march us all to the front and sit us all down in the front row in front of, you know, the whole church. The pastor gets up, you know, and one by one, he's reading the names to call us up to the front to get to stand there with the pastor in front of everybody on display that you're accepted and you're loved and you're a member. But they left me sitting on the front row, never calling my name, Hmm. disallowing me from membership on display in front of the church, rejected. And I was absolutely devastated. I don't remember how I got home. I don't remember anything after that. Except for later, I was able to do more earning of things. I could go to more classes and I could do more things. And then on a Sunday night when no one was there, they made me a member. I found out later that apparently my dad had called to find out what had happened. And they told him, well, because my parents weren't going to church, they didn't want to make me a member because then I wasn't going to go to church either. Which is hilarious because that was a self-fulfilling prophecy because that was the last time I went to church. Mm. (laughs) And so I knew that this affected me throughout my life. I never forgot it. I didn't go back to church. That was the end of church until after a number of other devastating things happened in my life. I lost my grandmother and two months later I lost my father and I was there watching him die in front of me making horrible sounds. Mm. And four years later I lost my brother and I lost childhood friend also. And we had no help. The church was not there. No one was there to help us emotionally. We just imploded and it was a big mess. We were all just an emotional mess. So I did all kinds of different awful things, coping mechanisms and attacking myself, bad choices, trying to kill myself slowly because I thought I had no right to exist in the first place. Mm. But God, God loved me and he pursued me. And in my first book, Emerging with Wings, I share that story. It's my story of getting free from the childhood trauma. You hear about all that sitting and suffering in the middle of there without hope, but how the Lord apprehended me, how he pursued me. Because the book is written kind of like a story. There's the character of the villain, the hero, and the child. And the villain is the jab, the jealous, angry bully, which is the devil, the demons, and my own negative, awful mind. Mm -hmm. And the pursuer, which was God pursuing me. And I could see that. And he apprehended me in the front seat of a car on a road trip out to California and back six week long road trip. But I was so terrified of him because of the toxic religion I had been subjected to, the emotional abandonment and my own poor choices that I knew were bad. So I'd been off trying to prove God didn't exist because if he did, I was in trouble. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it had to be better that he didn't exist, but he did. And he loved me. And so he apprehended me and I jumped back to, okay, Jesus be Lord of my life and all that. I sort of like emotionally covered my head expecting for God to kill me. Mm. I was going to go to heaven, but you know, I was going to die. That's how afraid of God I was, but I didn't die (laughs) clearly. (laughs) (laughs) And I was so surprised. 
If you have seen the movie, oh, I love quoting this line from the movie, one of the late Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think it is, when he's down in the snake thing and he pulls him out and he said, I'm so pleased you are not dead. <laughs> I was so pleased I was not dead. That yeah. I was like, okay, God, whatever you want, I get to live. And there was a lot of toxic in there and all the trauma. And I was a mess for a very long time. But God intervened in there and his grace and his mercy is just profound. I was not aware of it when it was going on. <laughs> if you get my book, Emerging with Wings, and read the road trip, you will laugh at the mercy and grace of God and me thinking that I'm earning it. Mm. It's so ludicrous. It's hilarious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'm married to a man that God brought into my life. He supernaturally paired us together. We started going to Bible studies on August 6th one year. He proposed on September 1st that same year. I'd broken up over a weekend one time due to my trust issues and fear. But God, mm -hmm. when God has a plan and he loves you, he is going to pursue you and never give up on you. He has relentless love. And even though he did all that at that time, I still didn't know my husband was the first person I ever encountered unconditional love from. And I would resist it and push against it because I didn't understand it. I'd never felt it before. And years went by. We've been married 42 years now. Mm. <laughs> it's been quite a wild ride. But God, the whole way. Yeah. I knew that I was messed up. And I leaned into, you know, inner healing and all that stuff as much as I could. I read so many books. Did not want to have children because I was terrified of messing them up. Plus, I'd been told I couldn't have kids. My husband was told he couldn't have kids. We're like... I don't have kids. You want to have kids? No, I did too many drugs. I don't want to have a kid with 12 arms. So I mm -hmm. was, yeah, I was terrified. I did not want children on my honeymoon. God put that in my heart. I remember the moment and my husband and I sat down and prayed for our children. He gave us both of their first names and I have both of those children mm -hmm. healthy because of God. All this growing, and I, I didn't have a clue how to raise them. I was so terrified of hurting them because I was so hurting. I leaned into the grace of God as much as I knew how. Their middle names both mean grace. That's how much. Mm -hmm. It's like, God, you have to help me. <laughs> That's what it was. And he did. Yeah. He did. Even when I didn't know, I didn't know the words, I didn't know the definitions. All I did was lean into him as much as I know how. And that's all he wants is our heart. He says, my son, give me your heart. Hmm. That's what he wants is our heart. It's not all the fancy terms. It's not living a perfect life. None of that, which I've been raised. And religion will try and push that. He wants our heart. He wants genuine heart. Hmm. Fast forward into a few years ago in 2012, I finally sat down to write that first book, Emerging with Wings. I'd been told to write a book. I thought about writing a book. And I never did. Mm -hmm. I'd gone to counseling. That didn't work so good. I went to a Christian counselor, which left me feeling more condemned than before I went. Mm -hmm. I had healed a lot and had grown a lot. And I figured that's as good as it gets. That's <laughs> what I was thinking. It's like, well, I have come a really long way. And I had. And finally, one day, I was reading a devotional in my morning devotion time. And it was titled Dare to Decide. And I felt the Lord just prompting me that today you start writing that. And I decided I didn't know how to write a book, didn't know how to go about it. I didn't know what front matter was or back matter was. I had not heard of those terms before, mm -hmm. but I just started. And when I sat down to write that book, I knew the first eight chapters of the book. I put myself into counseling to write the book because I figured that would be you know, a good thing to do. You're going to be revisiting some things that are not so pleasant. I had no idea how smart it was, how wise it was to do that because 
The book is 16 chapters. Hmm. Eight chapters in it, I learned going to counseling and writing the book. Chapter nine is called The Bullseye. Chapter nine is about that trauma at church. Chapter nine is God showing me what happened in my soul that day and why it hurt so bad. And I tell the story of paper cuts. Have you ever wondered why paper cuts hurt so bad? <laughs> ever go, man, that's so little. How could it freaking hurt so bad? Mm -hmm. So I did a study on them and I wrote about that and in the nervous system and all the reason of why there is a very specific reason why they hurt that badly. It hurts a bullseye of pain in our skin. Mm. And a bullseye is the absolute highest, perfectest place that it could be. And that's what happened to me at that church. Mm -hmm. Satan launched an attack against my soul that was a bullseye to my spiritual life. Mm. I had been through all the neglect and all the other things before that, which had like hitting someone on a bruise over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. So when this one launched, it was like right to the center. And it was just so precious how I can still envision the sentiment that he did this with. It was like he took my hand like I was a little kid and gently walked me to a place to share with me what had happened. He told me that there had been an inception I don't know if you've seen the movie Inception. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Inception is when this thought comes and you take it as your own. And it's like, it's true. It's just true. And the enemy got me to have an inception, taking a scripture and turning it upside down, inverting it. So I believe the absolute opposite. Mm -hmm. The scripture is, whoever comes to Jesus, I will in no wise cast out. I believed I came to Jesus. And he himself threw me out. Mm -hmm. And there's no hope after that. And he told me that that is why I lived all of my life in all of my relationships in every situation with an expectation of rejection. And when he showed me that, my mouth physically dropped open. I gasped because it was so true. Yeah, I saw it everywhere in every relationship I'd been in, every place I'd ever worked, everything that it had ever happened to me. There was always that expectation of being rejected. So I would cause it sometimes. Mm -hmm. And other times, whether it was true or not, I felt rejected even when people were not rejecting me, mm -hmm. which comes to the second half of that story. The Lord healed me of that through that time because he was able to bring the truth. The truth will drive out the lie. When you own the truth, it will drive that lie out. It took me years to believe the love of God. I have a little book I give away at my website called Love's Manifesto. And in it, I share how it took me 34 years to believe that God loved me. Mm. When I first realized that, I had to deal with, I felt shame. Why did it take me so long? Some people, they get saved. They believe God loved them, you know, right away. So I dealt with a lot of dealing with shame and getting rid of shame because I took so long to believe this. <laughs> but what really is a more beautiful picture of that is God pursued me and healed me and convinced me over and over and over for 34 years. He never gave up on me. He never stopped loving me. He never left me in that. He didn't say, oh man, this is taking too long. I give up on you. No, because I matter, because you matter, because you who are listening, you matter. And God will take as long as it takes to convince you. If you are wanting to know this, he will convince you. Just reach out to him. Mm -hmm. But I was involved with a business mentor in 2018 or 2019. They were dealing with some things with trauma because they had suffered a lot of trauma. 
one of the things that they invited people to do was to ask God, where were you during a specific trauma? Mm -hmm. Not where were you like you weren't there, like people go, where were you? Not like that. But expecting that he was there and asking him, where were you? So I did that. I don't know that I expected an answer because I just couldn't fathom that. So I asked, you know, I left it at that. Frequently, I'll ask God things and he'll tell me later. So I generally expect him to tell me later. When he answers me immediately, it freaks me out. (laughs) It does happen, but, but he did not that time. And then he even told me why later, but he did answer me. And he didn't answer me verbally. He answered me in a way that I had never experienced before. My husband and I were on our way home from church. He was driving. I was not driving, so I did not cause any harm to anyone. (laughs) I'm sitting in the passenger seat, and then all of a sudden, I just started having a vision. Hmm. And it was so tangible to me. I was there. And it was so real. My husband knew something was happening. He could tell. And I leaned into this, and I experienced a moment in that church, sitting on the front row, Hmm. in my dress, sitting on my chair with my feet not touching the floor. And I saw where he was. He was sitting on the chair behind me. He had his hands on my shoulder and he was speaking to me. I remember a few things. When I got home from the car that day, I ran upstairs to write down as much as I could. (laughs) So I could remember that because when you have a spiritual thing happen, a lot of times the words will escape you later unless you capture them. Yeah. But the first thing I remember him saying was, I will find you. What you are believing is a lie. Hmm. There's more, but I'd have to go get my journal to to read that. But I felt his love. He also said, I'm going to use this. And he is using this. Hmm. He's using this because it's what I do now because he is there and he will go to whatever length possible to find you Mm -hmm. because he loves you, because he loves me. And he showed me how that could happen. How could that happen? If he was sitting behind me, how could I be so traumatized? How could I be so spiritually and emotionally emasculated by that moment if he was right there? Well, the reason my parents stopped going to church is because that church got rid of the pastor that had been there and they brought in a new pastor and my parents didn't like the new pastor. Mm -hmm. I found out much later the reason why they got rid of that old pastor. They got rid of that old pastor because he was bringing the message of the Holy Spirit into this denominational church that doesn't want the Holy Spirit there, apparently. Mm -hmm. He's just a footnote, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that's it. Mm -hmm. That's about as far as he can go. He was disallowed from being in there because they had, in essence, pushed part of God out of the church. Mm -hmm. And so he had been bound to what he could do in that place. But he pursued me. He has saved me so many times from, I should be dead, I don't know how many times. Mm -hmm. Because his mercy endures forever. Because his love is everlasting. And so I wanted to share this story because that's my core of love. God loves us. And he loves us so much. And the church has fallen down with delivering this in so many ways. It is upsetting to me. Mm -hmm. I'm reading a book by Danny Silk called Loving Your Kids on Purpose. Both my kids are adults. They have children. So... I just read this because it helps me understand the love of God better Mm. and how to relate to people in general of how to walk in love because that's our highest calling is to walk in love. I'm trying to remember exactly how it was in the book, but I underlined these two things. You are loved. What are you going to do? God created us and he put us in the garden 
It wasn't the devil that put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. It was God. He didn't put it some far off place so that they couldn't find it. But, you know, he could say, well, I gave you a choice, but it was way over there. No, he put it in the center of the garden. He wants us to know our choice is in the center of our life. We get one life. It's up to us what we do with it. God wants us to love him. And he loved us first. First John 4 tells us how God loved us first. He wants us to love him and love one another, but he provides us the love to do that because we can't do it by ourselves. We don't have that in ourselves. We are incapable of it without him. Mm -hmm. We need that love. Mm -hmm. So he provided it. And that's what he wants people to know is, I love you. What are you going to do about it? That's the message of the gospel. I love you. What are you going to do about it? And it's our choice. Do you want to know why I love you? Do you want to know how much I love you? And connection, relationship. And how much do you value this relationship? This is how much God values his relationship with us as he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us and raise again from the dead because that's how much he values us. We have great value. We're made in his image. We're just a little bit lower than the angels. Humanity is such a miraculous creation that we're not just a bunch of cells in a bag of water. There's so much more to who we are created to be, but it boils down to love. Mm -hmm. And God wants that relationship. And it's all about a love relationship because we don't on purpose hurt people we love. We do hurt people we love by accident, but <laughs> we don't intend to hurt them. It's not love. Love protects that relationship. So if someone wants to come into a relationship with God and wants to love him, all the things that some churches get so hung up on, this sin, that sin, this kind of sin, that sin, this behavior, act this way, dress this way, talk this way, behave this way. Just let God love them into whatever he wants them to be. He will love out of them the fear, the pain, the wrong behavior, whatever. And he'll love into us and the right choices. I mean, little by little, because we're a big work. We don't change overnight. You don't get saved and instantaneously you're perfect. You're instantaneously righteous because you have the righteousness of Jesus. Mm. Not your own, mm. <laughs> but you have his. We're a work of art and we're a work in progress. And it's because he loves us so much. Well, first, I'm really grateful for you sharing and for your openness and transparency, because what you've experienced is something that I feel like a lot of people can resonate with. You know, I love that your story brings out an incredibly important element in this conversation of sitting and suffering, which is this piece of rejection, this element of feeling unaccepted. Because I know when I think of my own periods of feeling like I was sitting and suffering, what I knew is that I was trying to seek God, but here I am and this suffering is persisting. And so what does that mean about God's love for me if he's allowing this to happen? What does this mean about the love that other people profess to have for me if they're allowing this suffering to happen to me, if they're not coming alongside me? And you had this painful moment where you had tried to seek God. You had gone to this church. You were just trying to find not membership, but acceptance, <laughs> community. And it just seemed like everyone, including God, had abandoned you. And that, I feel like, can be one of the most painful pieces of suffering, that bullseye as you noted it. Because mm -hmm. we can endure pain. We can endure unknowns and confusion. But when we feel like we've been abandoned, or worse, rejected, right? Not just forgotten, but turned away. Mm -hmm. That loneliness can be so much. But what I love about your story is that piece where 
you ask God, all right, well, if you're saying that you were with me, where were you in that moment? And he lovingly showed you that not only was he there, but he was there in precisely the way that you were longing for him to be. But you couldn't see it. You couldn't notice it. And so a question I have is you and I can tell people that God loves them, that God's with them in the hardships. But when we're in the midst of it, it's hard for us to see that. It's also hard for us to believe that. Why do you think it was hard for you to recognize that God was right there with you in the way you needed it? Why is it hard for us to recognize that we are loved in the midst of the hardest moments? Yeah, I think it goes to our basic beliefs. There are actually people who grow up in a loving, accepting family, Mm -hmm. and they don't struggle with believing God loves them. Those people actually exist. Mm -hmm. I have met some. I find it hard to believe because it's so not my story. Yeah. But I have met them. They have different issues. They just don't have mine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It goes to a core belief of our value. Trauma is an epidemic. Childhood trauma is an epidemic. Mm -hmm. One of the side effects of trauma is the stealing away of our sense of value, our sense of self. That pushes away the belief that God loves us because we feel unlovable. We feel unworthy in and of ourselves, apart from anything, and it's a wound from trauma. Mm -hmm. It's something that's happened in our body. I was just listening to a podcast yesterday who's talking about people don't talk about the body as much with trauma. They talk about the mind. They talk about the emotions. And there's the book, The Body Keeps the Score, and I know some about that. One of the things he brought up The body was created before the mind and the emotions. So the body is in front of the mind and the emotions. So when things happen, it starts in our body. Dr. Caroline Leap said something that was just astounding. Mm -hmm. She says that the words that we hear go into every cell of our body. I was like, wow, that's a lot of cells. Mm -hmm. It reveals the power that we have as humans. Humanity needs to know they have power. Trauma steals away your sense of power. That's why I am on a mission to help people know they are loved, to believe they have power, to own their power of choice. And I focus on that power of choice rather than trying to get people saved. It's like you need to choose and you own your choice. That's the most powerful thing you've been given. God put a tree in the middle of creation to give you that choice. I'm not taking that choice away from you. And there are a lot of people out there who want to take that choice away from people. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to believe like I believe. You need to do what I do. No, you need to own your choice. Mm-hmm. And you get what you get from that. So trauma, I think, is one of the big things why people have a hard time believing God loves them. I believe what I call the original trauma, which happened in the garden. When mankind fell, mankind was created to be in concert in union with God. Mm-hmm. That's traumatic, that ripping away of that. So I believe there's already trauma in every human before they're even born. And then things happen to them. And depending on how much happens, it depends on where they end up. (laughs) I want people to know that they are loved. And I want to do what you have been doing. I keep catching you using a word over and over and over again. And I love it. And I want to incorporate it in my mission of what I do is you use the word invitation. Mm -hmm. There's too much out there about God commands and he tells you this and, you know, and it may say that there, but invitation, I think, is much more accurate of the heart of God. He invites us. He invites us to love him. He invites us into relationship with him. 
So I invite people, I know God or not. I say, if you don't know him, ask him. Just like that, that lady on the internet who says she loves me, she said that you love me. Why don't you tell me how you love me? And I believe God will answer that. If they reach out like that, mm. I think it's with a sincere heart. God's just waiting for a sincere heart. Yes, I will show you that I love you mm -hmm. because he sees the heart. You know, he told us that man looks on the outward appearance and he looks on the heart. He knows what's really going on in there. We can try and hoodwink him, but it don't work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you mentioned the Danny Silk quote, essentially around these two ideas of God saying, I love you. And what are you going to do about it? And the reality is, is that we carry all this baggage with us that can keep us from seeing the truth. Like you're saying, one of the things that we believe about love is love has to be deserved. Love has to be earned. Love has to be protected or you'll lose that love. And, you know, one thing you mentioned at the start is the thing that God's invited you to is if people can say, I hate you for no reason, then I can say, I love you for no reason. Yeah. We can't understand that because for someone to hear that, they could end up thinking, but why does she love me? I mean, she doesn't even know me. So how can she know that she loves me? We do not actually understand love. Mm -hmm. I mean, God loved us first, like you mentioned. God loved us while we were still <laughs> caught in our sin. A lot of times when we're in these spaces, when we're sitting in suffering, when we're believing that we are unaccepted, when we're believing that we're rejected, there's actually a lot of logical things at play. You know, if God actually loved me, then this church would accept me, that these people would respond in this certain way. So therefore, how could God love me? Because this is his church, right? Like we can come up with this logic. If I was actually loved, these things wouldn't happen to me. But sometimes it goes deeper than our logic. You know, you mentioned that once you understood this element of God's love, it still took you 34 years to really accept it. Mm -hmm. And then you were feeling the shame of it, which then kind of perpetuated it. Well, then how could God love me if I don't trust his love? But God did love you. Amen. What I really appreciate about your story too is God told you that he was going to use this. Mm -hmm. And he is now using your story so that when others hear it, they can hear an example of what it looks like to be loved, even if you don't believe it, what it looks like to be loved, even if a lot of time passes, what it looks like to be, what it looks like to be. Because when we're in the moment, knowledge alone isn't enough. If somebody tells us this is what's true, our internal experience, our internal trauma will say, no, 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 that's not true. But now they're hearing your voice and your story. And somebody could say, well, if God really did love you, and if he was with you putting his hands on your shoulders, then why didn't he just make you feel the shoulders right then and there? And that's a fair question. Because in our minds, you would have avoided a lot of pain in your life. If in that moment, with your feet not touching the floor, you felt this supernatural presence. Oh my gosh, I feel like God is with me. But the thing is, is God's after abundantly more than we could ask for or imagine. Mm -hmm. And what you would have asked for is to immediately feel God's presence, immediately feel acceptance, immediately feel loved. But God's looking at that and saying, yes, that sounds like a great idea. But I'm looking at the fullness of your life. I'm looking at the fullness of people that you're interacting with, that you will interact with, that you may never meet because they just hear your voice over a podcast. I see things now that you don't, and I am working on something bigger. Because not only has God accepted you and loved you, but God has accepted and loves so many other people that might not believe it until they hear the words coming out of your mouth, right? Yeah. That might not believe it until they know that there's somebody that has been in their shoes that now sees something different than their brain is trying to tell them. I appreciate so much of what you're sharing because rejection hits 
so, so hard. So right now, somebody might be listening that does feel utterly rejected by God and their family and their friends and everyone. What would you say to that person that's sitting in that place right now? Do you want to believe it? Mm. I think my desire to believe I was loved really drove me to chase after that because I believed the word of God is true and I had discounted myself as separate from everyone else. And I think he helped me to chase after that. I listened to songs, this one particular song for a space of time in my life. It was just an anointed worship song, but it was about the love of God. I listened to it every day through headphones, weeping for a period of time. That was one of the ways that God washed pain out of me and washed love into me. That was still a number of years before I believed it. Before that, we lived in a different place. We've moved like 13, 14, 15 times, forgot. That's how I remember different parts of my life. When we lived here, Mm -hmm. when we lived here, that's how I remember the different times. Another time something negative had happened, I'd prayed and it didn't go the way I thought. The enemy's right there with, you know, God doesn't love you. But I was fighting to believe it because I believed it was true in my head. I believed that God spoke the truth. I believed I'd been told the truth. But I just, I couldn't get it in my heart. And I still remember that day. I can still in my mind go there. And I screamed at the top of my lungs, my God loves me, even though I didn't believe it. Mm. I, I was fighting to believe it. You can fight to believe it. You can fight for what rightfully belongs to you. To know the love of God is a blood-bought right that you have. And you can fight to know that. And it has nothing to do with your behavior. Nothing. I remember the moment on that day after 34 years. I was sitting in my rocking chair and I had done something wrong the night before. So condemnation was all over me. And it was in that, in my sin, that God's love finished convincing me. Yes, right there, right in the middle of your mess. I love you right there. Yes, right there, right now, right when you're doing wrong. I love you right there. There is no earning. His love is free. His love is free. It is unconditional. And I had been told it's unconditional, but then we would hear the but. There was always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. God loves you, but you got to act like this. God loves you, but you got to go to church. God loves you, but you got to, you know, wear stuff like this. Mm -hmm. God loves you, but you got to give up this, that, or the other thing. How about God just loves you? Mm -hmm. Period. You come to him like that, and then where it goes from there is between you and God. Mm -hmm. It's a relationship. And he's all in and he wants us to be all in, but we are slow and he's okay with that. Mm -hmm. And learning that was just Mm life-changing to me. And learning his grace is not just a five-letter word that people like to make acronyms about. Mm -hmm. It's all the power and goodness of God at work in my life for me. That's one of my favorite prayers, simple prayers, help, (laughs) comfort me and grace. Yeah. In the book of Zephaniah, it says, grace, grace. And I speak that I'll watch an ambulance, I'll watch a fire truck go by, and I'll just lift my hand and go, grace, grace. I feel like I'm just sending the grace of God. Chase them down, Lord, and help them with whatever they got to do. I don't know any of the details, any of the circumstances, and I don't need to know. He knows. Send your grace and help them. Yeah. You know, what's wild about all this is we're talking about rejection. We're talking about not accepting And in this, we're also finding out ways that not even intentionally, sometimes intentionally, we are actually rejecting God, not accepting God, rejecting his love, not accepting his love. 
because we don't think that he could possibly love us or we just don't believe that he's good anymore, right? Like we're perpetuating the very rejection. But what's so beautiful, and you've reiterated this over and over and over and over, is that God does love us and it's unconditional and it's not based on us earning it. And there is tremendous grace. You know, as you're talking, it makes me think of how the way that I've come to understand love more deeply is by being a parent. Mm -hmm. I remember before our first child was born, we had a godson and we loved this godson so much. And so when we knew that our first child was coming, we were a little afraid because we knew how much we loved our godson. How in the world are we going to love our child to this level? We were genuinely concerned that we mm -hmm. our love wouldn't match. And you're not the only you know, one. We can see how <laughs> right. And so then our child was born and we loved our son in a way that we didn't orchestrate, mm -hmm. that we didn't force, that we didn't like we naturally loved with a type of love that we had never loved with before. <laughs> we had loved family and friends, but the way that we loved like we couldn't we can't even explain it. Mm -hmm. Right? Parents who know this love for their children can't really put words to it. And we love our children, not if, when they do things wrong, mm -hmm. when they oppose us, when they, you know, in the long list of things, mm -hmm. when they frustrate us, when, when they impact our plans, right? The whole list of reasons that we could justify not loving them anymore, we never stop loving them. If I tell my son that I love him when he's in the midst of being angry at me and is convinced I hate him, my words aren't going to convince him of that. My presence might not convince him of that in the moment. And it might not be until he is a father himself that he finally gets it a little bit, right? <laughs> I didn't fully understand my mom's love for me until I became a parent. Because before that, it was just head knowledge. Mm -hmm. But then it became experiential. And so there is a grace in the fact that you didn't have to understand God's love in the moment he told you he loved you. That there is a grace in that he was okay with it taking 34 years. This grace is so deep and profound that the expectation isn't perfection from us. It's just willingness. And I love that you have latched onto this idea of invitation because that's something that's become so important to me is there are so many ways that we go about this and communicate this that can become restrictive, that can either push us towards perfection or can make us feel like we're ineligible. Mm -hmm. But God invites us because he loves us. And the invitation for us is to just take simple steps. Like you noted, what could it look like to simply say, all right, I'm going to choose to believe that God loves me, even if I don't know what that even means right now. I'm going to choose to take a step towards God's love, even if I'm struggling with it. Like these simple steps are the invitation. And if it takes a day or 34 years, that's not the big question. Right. The question is, did you today take a step towards that love? What's a simple way somebody could take a step towards God's love today? Just talk to him. Just talk to him. Just say, I would like to know your love. This lady on the internet says that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm asking you about it. It's simple as that. I wanted to bring up something that you mentioned because you said we're talking about rejection. Mm -hmm. Because yes, I rejected. Even when I was trying to prove God didn't exist, I went through that time where I was trying to do that. I mean, that's a lot of rejection of God's love, isn't it? Yeah. I was rejecting him. So why did he still pursue me when I had treated him like that? So I want to make a note here that God, again, knows our heart. Mm -hmm. He knows if our heart is hatred and rejection toward him, or if our heart is wounded and incapable. He knows what's going on in there. And so I take a lot of comfort in that because he has saved me from myself in so many different ways. 
I was afraid of what I did. I was afraid of falling away. I was afraid of falling into these. I was a, I became like a Pharisee for a while because I was working so hard to behave so well, so much the legalism stuff. I became like that. So much fear. Mm-hmm. But God looks on the heart. He knows if you really want to know him, if it's in there and he knows how deep the hole is and he doesn't care if it's real. If it's real, he's coming for you. Mm-hmm. And he'll love you every step of the way. But if you want nothing to do with him, He'll leave you alone. He'll respect that. He will honor your choice. Well, as we wrap up, there's two final questions that I have for you. And the first one is just very simply, if somebody wanted to hear more about this love and they wanted to connect with you or your content or your podcast, what's the best way for them to reach you? My website has access to everything. It's daniellebernack.com. It's B E R. N-O-C-K, even though it sounds differently. Mm-hmm. Danielle, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E-B-E-R-N-O-C-K.com. I have my coaching on there. I have courses on there. I have my books on there. You can get to my podcast there. I have the top five podcasts from season one you can get access to from my website and my premiere episode with my name story. That's great. And then the last question is very simple as well. Is there anything else in your heart that you feel like you should share before we go? There's always hope. There's always hope. No matter how hard it feels, no matter how much suffering there is, there's hope. There's hope. When you invited me to be on this podcast one week ago, suffering entered my life again. Like I shared with you before we started. Now, I had that suffering all growing up as a child, and I didn't really have a lot of hope except for I think God put a seed of hope in my heart because he knew I wanted him. And then fighting to get free in that middle time of my life, he gave me hope to do the things that I could do at that time. And then last week, all kinds of awful things took place in our family's life. And mm-hmm. my son's family, my daughter's family, and our family, different things have come to light and difficulties, challenges, and then even little things that feel heavy because once you know you have a pile, feather feels like a ton. Then I had a day where I was struggling and it's okay to struggle. I want to say that too. It's okay to struggle. You don't have to be fine every day. doesn't matter how long you walk with the Lord. You will have days that are hard. You will have days that you struggle and that is okay. Mm -hmm. And he will come and sit with you. I sat in suffering last Saturday. I sat in my suffering. I felt my feelings and I let myself feel all those feelings and I let him love me through it. The next day was a little better and the next day I was better and now I'm doing real well. But I ran to the strong tower. I did a video on Facebook about it that I was struggling. I didn't hide because that's something we tend to do when we're struggling. We hide. Don't hide. Get help from someone, even if it's just asking God. But get help. Don't hide. Reach out to someone. Run to the strong tower. The scripture says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. You say, I need a rock to crawl up on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like I'm drowning. And he will help you do that. And it's not over. If things are going away, it's not the end of the story. Keep going. Pick up hope. And let God love you through it because he will. And reach out to me if I can help. I would love to help anyone, especially if you want to be coached through learning the love of God and how to grab a hold of that. It would be a delight to my soul to help someone because I'm that lady on the internet who loves you. (laughs)
Joshua 1 9 says this Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. At the time, Joshua and the Israelite people were being invited into an incredibly difficult call. They were being called to step into a land that they had never known, to fight armies that they didn't think that they could beat. And yet, what Joshua knew is that God was with them. While others operated out of fear, Joshua operated out of the faith that God would fight their battles. On a level, you can understand why the Israelites struggled to believe that God was with them, because God was actually beyond their comprehension. However, he had proven himself time and time and time again to them. While they felt rejected by God, the truth was he was with them, but they were rejecting him. As we shared in the last episode, the Israelites became so convinced that God was not with them and God was not for them, that they longed for the oppression that he had freed them from. Even as he showed his presence by providing for them, they wanted what they used to have. They wanted what they used to know. And yet the whole time they complained, God was with them. When Danielle felt at her lowest point, her most alone and her most rejected, God was with her, even though she couldn't see it, even though she couldn't sense it. Perhaps you feel as Danielle did that day in the church, that you were unwanted, that you were neglected, that you were forgotten. But what was true for Joshua and the Israelites and what was true for Danielle is true for you. God is with you right now. In fact, the exercise that Danielle talked about is one that you can do. You could make a space to sit and ask God, in this hardest moment, where were you? And then wait and listen. The response may be immediate, or it could be later in an unexpected way like Danielle experienced. But the reality is, in the moment you felt like God was most distant, he was actually deeply present. This is the hard thing. For Danielle, it was decades before she fully understood the reality of that. So what do we do with that space between the loneliness and the knowing? Well, the answer is we choose to trust. We choose to acknowledge God's presence and goodness even when he feels far. And we choose to step towards him even when we're not sure we can trust him. That's what faith is. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. Faith is choosing to go where our logic brings resistance. Because scripture says that God is love. Scripture says that God created us and knows us. And scripture says that God is with us. That Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So whatever your situation, God is with you. What could it look like to operate as though that was true, even when it doesn't feel true? How might that change our next steps? How might that shift our perceptions? It's a hard invitation for sure. But it could be the very thing that shows us that our suffering isn't as deep as we think it is. It could be the thing that brings hope in the midst of darkness. So if you feel alone as you're sitting in suffering, I invite you to consider that God is with you. Sit with that, open your eyes, and ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation, but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. 
The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of their music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?